In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Hi there, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, my guest, uh, who has not called in yet, but I just spoke to him on the phone, he's going to be connecting with us very shortly, is Ed Baker, who is a um, social worker, accredited social worker, and host of the Addiction Recovery Channel on CCTV uh, Vermont. Um, he had an announcement to make about uh, Vermont's opioid crisis and a decision that the Opioid Settlement Abatement Advisory Committee... That's a long title. Oh, Ed's on the phone. Ed, welcome to the show. I don't think we've got him connected, if if we could do that. Um, anyway, um, the Opioid Settlement Abatement Advisory Committee has uh, made some serious recommendations, which uh, is something that Ed's been working on, and um, we want to make sure that... Uh, um, that he gets a chance to talk about this, and we understand it because there's a lot of questions I have about this recommendation. Uh, Ed appeared on the show a few weeks ago, and he called this a, a total catastrophic crisis, if that's the word he used. It was he. Uh, I was thinking uh, during COVID, we didn't hear much about the opioid crisis. Uh, there you are. Hi, Ed. How are you? I'm good. I'm good and happy to be here. Thank you, Pat. Oh, thank you. I was just sort of setting up the program a little bit, saying that uh, you had appeared on the show, I think, in November. And we talked about, I think you used the word catastrophic or something similar to dis- to describe the opioid crisis. Uh, because I noticed that we just stopped talking about it during COVID. You'd think it went away. And I'm thinking to myself, no, it doesn't come away. And if anything, with people being out of work, being isolated, um, I bet it's gotten worse. And it has, I don't know if you have any um, statistics that you can share with us, Ed, to, to talk about where we are with the opioid crisis. Sure. Thank you. Of, of, of course. And how long do we have? How long do we, we have, have an entire time? hour. Oh, boy, that's a long time. Okay, that's yes, good. We can do this, Ed. I know we've done it before. <laughs> sure. And if you can't, I can, so we're good. <laughs> I hear you, and again, thank you for um, thank you for focusing on um, uh, a subject matter that is difficult to focus upon. It's human nature to turn away um, from something as grave and overwhelming as the catastrophic public health emergency we face today. Uh, people are busy with their lives; uh, they want to. You know, live their lives, and it's, this this emergency is so overwhelming and so painful um, that people tend to turn away from it. They defend themselves against it. Um, they tend to blame uh, the victims of failed social policy, and um, otherwise, you know, perpetuate this this growing problem. We need to face it. Squarely. We need yep. to face it head on. Uh, we need to experience 
the tremendously uh, overwhelming grief that we feel, um, you know, when we realize how many of us are dying uh, from accidental drug overdose. Now, you know, you mentioned statistics, and I think statistics are extremely important. Uh, In 2022, 264 people, 264 fellow Vermonters, neighbors, loved ones, died of accidental drug overdose in Vermont, in our little state. Uh, There were over uh, 52, there were over approximately one person a week. One person a week, Pat, died in Chittenden County in 2022. And it will likely be uh, above that grim figure in 2023. Wow. Between, between April 2022 and April 2023, 111,000, 111,000. See if you can get your brain around that number. <laughs> 111,000. I think it, it might be something like 34 or, or, or 35, 34 World Trade Centers. Okay. Yeah. 11,000 people died of accidental drug overdose in America in 12 months. Wow. In, oh, in Burlington, staggering. right now. Right now in Burlington, we have an unprecedented uh, uh, public health crisis. We have overdose death, and we have incidents of drug overdose that need to be responded to by emergency care. Uh, the police, the fire department, other, uh, you know, frontline workers. This year, so far, the total of overdose responses in Burlington is two point times higher than the previous uh, three-year average. So our systems are literally overwhelmed by what what amounts to an unprecedented, catastrophic public health emergency in Vermont. It's just not declared. Pat, right. everyone I speak to it, it acknowledges that this is an emergency. It, 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 you know, we're back on our heels about it. Our treatment systems are not working. This is clear. Um, the uh, drug supply in America is contaminated uh, with with fentanyl, which is a lethal opioid, and we're seeing the results of it. And um, we are back on our heels about it. There's no question about it. You know, I remember a couple of years ago at talking about the hub-and-spoke model that uh, was getting national attention that we did here, but I think the addition of fentanyl has sort of messed that all up, hasn't it? I mean, it's just not working, is it? The The hub and spoke model was working and, in fact, was, uh, you know, a source of great pride. Right. Uh, and uh, there were other states that were beginning to um, uh, replicate that model. That model worked when when, when opioid addiction uh, was characterized by um, pharmaceutical opioids mm-hmm. and heroin. Right. Uh, not It's not working uh, with fentanyl, uh, buprenorphine doesn't work the same way with fentanyl as it worked with heroin, and there are problems with it. There are problems with retaining uh, patients with severe substance use disorder, and we're it's we're, we're, we're losing people. Yeah. People are dying uh, because that system is not working. 
the way it once worked, and we're not replacing it with other systems that do work. Um, there are approximately, Miro Weinberger had a, a, a commentary in the Rutland Herald, and uh, it's, it's interesting to read. There are, according to Miro, uh, Mayor Weinberger's estimate, there are approximately 20,000 uh, Vermonters with opioid addiction. Now, if you look at that number, when the hub and spoke was in its heyday, I do believe it was around 12,000 people were engaged in it, which is good. Yeah. But still, there's, you know, eight to 10,000 people that are not engaged. So it's a good system. It's weakening because of uh, fentanyl, and there are thousands of people that are not engaged in it. So mm. we need to develop other ways of reaching this population, engaging this population, and treating this population. Now, there's some scientific evidence that shows that methadone is um, uh, a preferred um, medication for opioid use disorder, preferred over buprenorphine when it comes to fentanyl addiction. And today, there are no people addicted to heroin anymore because there's no heroin available anymore. Everyone who is uh, using uh, illicit, uh, unregulated opioids is using fentanyl. So it looks like methadone will be one of the preferred treatments going forward. But methadone, one of the problems with our system is methadone is very, very, uh, it's over-regulated. Um, and it's very, very, uh, to, to, to make it accessible to uh, to to a larger population immediately yep. is proving impossible. I'll give you an example. There was money uh, allocated by the uh, opioid abatement uh, committee uh, the last cycle, uh, so 2023, um, approximately a, a year ago, uh, for uh, expanded methadone uh, 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 sites in Burlington. That, that won't happen, according to the health department. That will not happen for another 12 or 14 months. Wow. So what do I mean? What we have this money available, right? With the committee uh, uh, prioritizing methadone that calls hublets in the Burlington area to get methadone out to people on the street who are dying. And it will be it'll be another 12 or 14 months before it actually happens. Great. While they're dying. The, the system is working against us. Yeah. Ed, we have to take a break, and when we come back, I'd like to talk about your recommendation and what you were talking to me about, what, how you think we could work to prevent um, overdoses and what the Opioid Abatement Committee um, came up with and, and uh, some exciting news. And I, To yeah. tell you the truth, yeah. I need to understand it better because we didn't talk about it as much as we should have last time on the air, and I've got a lot of questions. So here with Ed Baker, who is um, – actually, we've never talked much about this, and maybe at the end of the program. Um, Ed's been in personal recovery for 38 years, and so he knows uh, what he's talking about. And uh, his story, his personal story is fascinating. Um, and when he was on the show, he gave a recommendation. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about that, Ed, about what you think is the solution, well, is part of the solution um, to helping folks. Um, we don't have so many deaths here in Vermont. 
Yeah, uh, thank you, Pat. And I, I realize that once I get started, sometimes I go from here to there. <laughs> Don't so worry about it. I want, we got you. I want you, to feel, I want you to feel free to, uh, to interrupt me. So, so basically, I mean, one of the things that we should be doing uh, that uh, Mayor Weinberger is a strong advocate for is uh, having methadone be uh, have a low barrier access uh, to methadone in Vermont and get that medication out. Uh, to people, and I would be supporting that uh, entirely. And um, in order to do that, you know, we have to follow guidelines, federal guidelines, state guidelines, and a lot of guidelines that really uh, slow us down and, and um, you know, perpetuate people dying of accidental drug overdose. So one of the things that, you know, I do believe and, and, and other people do believe is that we need to declare some sort of um, – public health emergency so we can get around some of the red tape and some of the regulations and put these practices, uh, you know, you know, make these, these, these services available uh, to people immediately. And um, that, that's, that's one thing that, that we really need to seriously consider. And that idea is gaining um, momentum. The other, the other, I think, obvious uh, next medically necessary step based in science, is overdose prevention centers. There is no doubt about this. Let me be clear about this. This is unequivocal. There are, there are mountains of research uh, for decades showing that these centers work. Uh, they save lives. Um, they they um, <clears throat> refer people to treatment as a beneficial... Um, uh, you know, uh, they, they are of great benefit to the communities in which they exist. Basically, I, I can give you their, their three main purposes. The purposes of an o- overdose prevention centers are, number one, to prevent overdose death and other health risks associated with drug use. There's never been a person, there may have been one person in Canada uh, it's under, uh, there's an investigation happening now. There may have been one person in Canada that actually died at an overdose prevention center. This is with millions upon millions of people being served by these centers globally for decades. So, I mean, they, it, 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 the, the fact that they save lives is unequivocal. And I can give you some statistics on how many lives have been saved down in New York, which I will... I'll do in a little while. So they save lives. They prevent death. They reverse overdoses. They also facilitate connections to care. People are referred for detox. They're referred for treatment, medical care, housing, employment, legal assistance, what have you. They're, they're, they're hubs to engage people and refer them for, to um, health, health-supporting care beyond saving their lives. They reduce public drug use profoundly, and I'll give you some statistics on that in a minute. People who would normally, you know, we're talking, this population that we're talking about are are the most difficult to engage. They're they're severely, they have severe drug use disorder. Many of them are unhoused. Many of them have uh, mental health uh, challenges. Many of them have been, uh, well, frankly, mistreated. And, and um, you know, uh, by by the, the very systems that were created to 
to serve them. They've been uh, uh, unrealistic demands have been placed on them. There's been uh, uh, consequences for you know missing appointments, for not having insurance, uh, for using drugs. How can you tell a person who has severe substance use disorder that there's a penalty for having uh, a urine test that's positive for drugs? That's huh. like saying, I'm going to help you stop taking drugs um, only if you stop taking drugs. <laughs> Sorry. Well, harm right. reduction, the overdose right. prevention. There are, there are no requirements like that. In fact, the door is open with what I like to call unconditional safety. The message is come to us. Come to us. We value your life so deeply and so profoundly that we want to help you while you take drugs. We're not placing this unrealistic demand on you. We, in fact, we know you can't meet it. So we're not even going to consider it. What we're going to do is we're going to help you stay alive while you take potentially fatal drugs. That is an incredible message that's delivered to some people who have never really had that level of safety or love in their lives. These people are engaged by, by that kind of dynamic they stick around, they keep coming back, and lo and behold, many of them get motivated to take a next step mm-hmm. to detox, a next step to medications for opioid use disorder, a next step to housing, a next step to some uh, health-promoting uh, um, intervention. I, I can, let me, can I go on for one second? Yes, please do. Well, this is, incredib- this is incredibly ex- exciting to me. This is the year one report from On Point New York City. Right. So On Point New York City is the first overdose prevention center in America uh, that is above ground. There's underground, uh, you know, locations around the, the country. But this is above ground, two locations in Manhattan, one in Harlem, one in Washington Heights. Uh, this is a report from November 30th, 2021 to November 29th, 2022. So it's a full year report. They've been in operation two years now, but they just finished a full detailed report on their first year. Their first year, they reversed 636 uh, overdoses, hmm. 636 most likely fatal overdoses were reversed. They use naloxone in some, but they have sophisticated methods in New York where they usually just use um, uh, oxygen, uh, different types of um, uh, stimulations to keep the person, you know, breathing. Uh, they very rarely use naloxone. So they, they reverse 636 overdoses in one year. In one year, in one year, uh, in one borough in New York, they engaged. 2,841 people. Hmm. So almost 3,000 people, 3,000 people who had severe drug use disorder in New York were engaged and continuously used this center. The center, now listen to this, 48,500 utilizations. So in one year, they had 48,500 times people injected drugs in the center. That's 48,500 times people, and most of these people would be using drugs publicly. So 48,500 times people did not inject drugs in the neighborhood. 
in public restrooms, in parks, you know, other places where 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 this would have been public use. They wow. um, four hundred and thirty-five thousand units of hazardous waste were collected at the center. So that's four hundred and thirty-five thousand. Uh, needles, other right. different types of um, hazardous waste that would have been disposed publicly. So the community, not only did did, did almost 700, 700 people have their lives saved, but the community was spared public drug use and public discarding of hazardous waste. Now, more than 75% of these participants, more than 75% of them, uh, were accessed what's called wraparound services. Twenty were referred. Twenty uh, percent were referred to housing, detox, treatment, primary care, and employment. So, when you look at that, without that center, oh, and 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 millions of dollars were saved um, uh, because these people were, were were not involved in emergency services, were not involved in uh, police investigations, and. Um, you know, so a there was a tremendous amount of savings to the city of New York. That's one year. Yeah. And you, there's no way that anyone can, you know, when you look at the statistics, you have to see that their worth is unequivocal. These places work. Uh, they're valuable in, in, in many ways. Ed, we've actually have a, we have Forbes from Corinth. He is a caller on this show quite often, and we're glad that he's joined us. Forbes, you're on the air. Oh, okay. Um, I hate to break anybody's bubble, but <laughs> there are some uh, some reasons for uh, the the amount of drug use in, in Vermont, an excessive. Um, just from statistically, uh, what's uh, Burlington? I think is up 44 percent in, in drug use or problems. Um, deaths from ODs are up. Yep. Uh, shootings, which we never really had here in Vermont that much of, um, they're up tremendously. And uh, you, you just name it. Uh, yeah. But here, here's the problem. Um, first of all, no one goes to jail, virtually no one goes to jail here in Vermont. Um, they're released on bond uh, that night or next morning. And the underground, outside, the word on the street is, if you want to sell drugs, come to Vermont. Because if you do get arrested, you'll be out that night or next morning, and you can take off. So that that word is, that's why we're seeing such an influx in Vermont. And a lot of the people, if you did a good tracking system with those people arrested, you'd find out where they came from, and you could see the pattern. It's right out there. Yeah, and I think um, I'm going to let Ed respond to that because he's most of his... Uh, Just let me finish. Oh, I'm sorry. uh, Go ahead. Okay. Uh, Fentanyl. Uh, That's produced by uh, China. And they're not interested in the money. Uh, They produce it. It then goes to cartel in Mexico, and they see, too, it gets spread into our major, major cities. And that's to disrupt... Uh, the cities and the population within the United States. So that's their game plan. It's out there. It's pretty much uh, vivid. And if you just did some statistics, you'd see the whole pattern. You'd see what the problem is. 
Okay. Thanks, Forbes. I appreciate it. Um, there is a lot of discussion about the revolving door uh, in our court system. I don't know if you want to comment on that. I I would think that um, for addicts going into into jail, and maybe they should be held accountable for sure, but it doesn't help them recover, does it? Yeah, um, you know, I mean, it. it, it. The law enforcement is something that is very complicated. I was in a meeting with um, a community forum with Sarah George, who is the uh, state's attorney for Chittenden County, and she spent a long time explaining to the audience, you know, her work and some of the um, uh, processes that she's engaged in. I, I would just refer people yep. um, to 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 Sarah and her office if they want to learn about law enforcement and what's working and what's not working. I, I try not to comment on that. Yeah. You know, what I will comment on, though, is the war on drugs. And, um, you know, uh, prosecuting, persecuting, and incarcerating uh, people with, uh, you know, a legitimate, uh, you know, medical diagnosis, addiction. Yep. You know, we've left the dark ages. We understand this is a medical disease. It's treatable. It's not a choice. Um, it, to put people in jail for it is unconscionable uh, and, and really um, below, you know, like uh, America's moral kind of uh, standards. And uh, it's still happening today. And um, a lot of the people that we deal with, you know, the, the people that are difficult to reach have been abused uh, continuously right. by our system. And what it does is it causes them to not trust the system, languish in the shadows, and be exposed to uh, a fatal drug supply. 111,000 people, I, I cited that number a little bit earlier, died yeah. in the 12-month period. Well, and I think you know, com combine combine an opioid addiction can't even say it opioid addiction with a mental health illness. That's yeah. Whew, yeah. that's really complicating yeah. matters, isn't it? Could we talk at yeah. a, um, the opioid settlement? That's such a long title. Opioid settlement abatement advisory committee uh, was put together back in 23 because the Fed set aside 50 billion with a B uh, to help yeah. help the states. Uh, a deal with opioid crisis over the next 18 years. And you were talking about how that money will be doled out over the years. And meanwhile, people need it now. But they support one opening up one or two of what you were talking about, the Overdose Prevention Center. Yeah. Can you help me out? There is a building. There is a center. When you walk in, the participants bring their own drugs, and then what happens? What staff is available there for them, and how how does that interaction work? I, I really need a just sort of draw well, a picture for me. Let me just let me just say that um, this is the second cycle of the opioid uh, abatement um, uh, settlement advisory committee um, that uh, voted on December twenty second. To, uh, to to recommend and fund two overdose prevention centers in Vermont at a, a budget of $2.6 million. Um, 
This is money. That $2.6 million, I think it's important to note, is not that, that's not Vermont taxpayer money. Um, that's money that's coming from pharmaceutical companies, pharmaceutical mm. distributors, as part of a class action suit that uh, then Attorney uh, General uh, T.J. Donovan uh, joined in America. So this is money coming to us, um, you know, um, that, that has nothing to do with, with Vermonters paying taxes. This money is specifically devoted uh, to saving lives, and it's uh, a penalty uh, to pharmaceutical companies that kind of inundated America with uh, prescription drugs for, for decades. So we have $2.6 million to open two overdose prevention centers. Basically, um, what an overdose prevention center is, is a, a site uh, where, like, where, where people can come to self-administer drugs under the supervision of trained staff that can reverse an overdose and save their lives if they overdose. Mm -hmm. That's one function. Um, Ed, I'd hate to interrupt you right now, but we've got a caller online, Bruce from Whiting, and I'd like to take his call, and then we'll continue talking about the center, if that's okay. Bruce, go ahead. You're on the air. Thanks for calling in. Thank you for having me. Um, I used to live in Burlington, and I was all about food. (laughs) My kind of guy, Bruce. Years and years ago, I remember when Ben Ben and Jerry's were in the little gas station there and ever since then and and their whole idea of feeding people i'm i'm there so i've had food shelves and uh in several different towns i have one a food shelf here in whiting and i help out the food shelf in burlington and the food shelf in white river junction for veterans and it just i want to hope that i want to believe that some of the work that i did in in Burlington with the Salvation Army and feeding the people that were on the street. That, to me, is still the crux of the matter, that when people are fed properly, they're less apt to do so many Hmm. other stupid things. Interesting. And it was really fun to feed people in in the park there in Burlington, the Salvation Army, on on the waterfront. I mean, there's plenty of places to feed people. And you know what? There was no murders and robberies and during those days because they were eating. Well, and I think, as Ed mentioned before, they were probably feeling, maybe for the first time, somebody concerned about them and that they were not alone and that you were there to to support them. Uh, Thanks, Bruce. That's a great comment. Um, Ed, do you have a comment about that? Well, I kind of, I, I think, uh, I think he faded out a little bit. Uh, can you summarize what? Uh, uh, Bruce was talking about when he lived in Burlington and now lives in Whiting that he would be involved. And thank you for this, Bruce, opening up food shelves and that he noticed the difference in helping people on the street with food and that, that there weren't, wasn't all the chaos that there is now in Burlington and other places. And I said, maybe as you were talking about, it's the first time these people have felt respected, felt somebody cared, and maybe that helps them pull it together. Yeah, and I think the scale was a little bit uh, different um, when the the caller was was working with people. I think the scale is a little bit, you know, it's, it's much more overwhelming now. 
Yeah. But overdose prevention centers, besides reversing overdoses, uh, provide a lot of the care that the, this gentleman was just uh, speaking about. There, as for instance, in New York, um, they have uh, utilities for for showering. Yeah. Uh, they have food. They now have a sleeping room for people who are sleep uh, deprived. Nice. Uh, have a barber uh, come in. So there's lots of, of things that happen that engage people. Uh, I, I interviewed someone recently who he was suggesting that we call overdose prevention centers comprehensive user engagement services huh. because a lot of what takes place there is engagement. If you talk to the people right. down in New yeah. York, um, <clears throat> you know, if a person is in an overdose prevention center for an hour, you know, f- between five and seven minutes is, is the time spent actually observing them uh, self-administer drugs. The rest of the time is harm reduction, education, um, uh engaging in relationships, referring for services. There's all kinds of other things that happen. And this is what I think that the gentleman was referring to. These these people are incredibly, their needs are are myriad. They, you know, they're unhoused, they're unloved, they're unfed, they're unprotected. You know, uh, they, you know, they're isolated, uh, they're frightened. A lot of living on the street is not easy, Pat. Yeah. You know, and um, I would think, you know, these, these are people who are dying at increasingly, um, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the velocity of death in Vermont is increasing yearly. People are dying more and more often. Now, you know, to the, the other gentleman that calls, you know, who's kind of implying that people need to be arrested and put in jail. This, this simply does not work. You you arrest someone, you put them in jail, they get out of jail, and you know what? They're mo- 10 times, 20 times more likely to die of a uh, 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 fatal overdose. Yeah. Because we, we don't have systems to help them upon uh, their release uh, from, from imprisonment. <clears throat> one of the things that <clears throat> the Opioid Abatement Committee did, one of the other things that they... Uh, decided uh, to fund was um, this managed medical response partnership between Vermonters for criminal justice reform and a medical service here in Burlington. This particular um, uh, service is specifically designed to reach out and support people who are released from incarceration. It's a very, very risk population. Jail does, does not do anybody any good. Maybe, maybe if we had sophisticated treatment, right. you know, jail, you could make an argument for someone being in jail and getting something out of it. But the way the system is today, jail is just a holding pen where people come out and um, are abandoned. Yep. Uh, so, so it's not a solution uh, to anything. Uh, Ed Bruce from Whiting called us back. He has another comment to make, and we'll give him a few seconds to do that and move on with the show. Bruce, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I place um, in Whiting, and I take in homeless and disabled and addicts and so on and so forth. And I've been doing it because when I got out of the Army, I was appalled at how 
I found people on the street that I yeah. was just in the army with. So uh, I opened this place here, and for 10 years, I've been taking people off the street with every kind of drug problem known to man. They get to stay here. And so I've been, a, I want to just want you to know that people are doing something about That's this. great. And what, do, what is your place called, Bruce? My name is Bruce Fowler, and yep. my place is Fowler's R&R Ranch. I think I'm going to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Bruce. I appreciate the the information, and we'll check you out. I'll be in touch. Thank you. Um, Ed, let's get back to uh, talking about these uh, overdose prevention centers. Um, Is there some criteria that's set up about if it's going to be one or two, where they'll be located, what's the best place? Um, Is there public input? Um, I'm sure the public, I have a feeling, might have some comments. Um, so yeah, be... well, just, just let me say first to Bruce, thank you, Bruce. Yeah, and, for um, sure. You know, that's just a testimony to what love can do. And um, basically, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about loving our neighbors yeah. and not being judgmental toward them and accepting them where they are and, and realizing that, you know, it's our obligation as a moral culture to protect them from a lethal drug supply. Yeah. We need to protect them. We need to keep them alive and help them to, you know, to move forward. People people with, with addiction will move forward when they're given a safe place, really, to reflect on themselves and to consider the opportunities available to them. They will move forward at their own speed. Yeah. When we impose demands on them, that's when they recoil from us that's when they 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 move away from us because a lot of the times the demands we place on them are demands that they cannot meet and that's been the problem with our system nora volkov the director of nida has come out and apologized for what she calls abstinence based uh you know treatment that we, we impose abstinence on people who cannot abstain they are lost to us and as a result they die more frequently. Now, the uh, overdose, um, the opioid uh, 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 settlement abatement committee has allocated $2.6 million. It's either for one overdose prevention center for two years or two overdose prevention centers for one year. This will be a, um, a recommendation that will be made to the state legislature. The state legislature then will confirm it or modify yeah. it, and it will be then it will be administered through the Department of Health. We don't know where the um, sites will be. There will probably be a request, uh, like a like a, a proposal, uh, a request for a proposal. Oh, RFP, uh, right. Yeah. It looks like, I mean, if you look at it logically, I don't want to make any assumptions, but logically, um, Burlington has the highest number right. of deaths per year. Um, Chittenden County is highest in Vermont. Burlington, the deaths are concentrated in Burlington in the downtown area. So the logical place for our first overdose prevention center would be somewhere in the downtown area. Um, there are facilities there. There's a safe recovery in Howard, uh, which is a safe syringe program. There's the Vermonters for Criminal justice reform, which also deals with this population. There are a couple of existing locations that already have this population engaged. Cool. Cool. So they would be the likely first places that we would, we would, you know, 
we would look to. Are you interested in doing this? Can you expand? Can you develop the capacity to deal with the population in Burlington? Uh, and yes, Pat, you know, my, myself and my group of advocates, you know, celebrated for about one minute when, <laughs> when this, uh, you know, when this monumental decision was made by the opioid uh, 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 committee. You know, $2.6 million. This is yep. a big, historic deal, a major step forward in Vermont. That's great. But, but, but to celebrate it, you know, you can only celebrate it so much. Then you have to realize that, okay, now we're in the ring with Mike Tyson. You know, we, 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 we fought our way up, and now we're in the ring with, with a very formidable opponent. Yep. And, um, you know, we have to battle you know, Governor Scott has repeatedly, repeatedly, in spite of science and in spite of public pressure, both houses passed H-728, that established a study group. He vetoed the bill. In spite of public pressure, uh, the legislation, uh, science, uh, mounting death in Vermont, the governor has taken a stand against huh. overdose prevention centers and continues to take a stand against overdose prevention centers. What's so his rationale, Ed? What has he used as a reason for vetoing or or his opposition? Has he? Oh, it, it's embar- it's embarrassing. His rationale is embarrassing. Is he he doesn't want to divert funds from from things that that are proven to work? You know, I mean, what divert funds? This is money coming in from an opioid uh, settlement fund. Not any any taxes coming out of Vermont. And there's there's like voluminous research over decades globally that shows that these places are the most efficacious and immediate means to saving lives. Do you anticipate uh, having a problem with staffing to find the people that these that these clients that you'll be you'll be okay? Not at all. You can take this universal problem of, you know, workforce uh you know, we don't right. have enough people in the workforce. That's true. You need, in addition to people, say, for instance, we use an existing site in Burlington that already has a number of employees. Oh, okay. To expand the capacity mm-hmm. to, um, to, 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 to open an overdose prevention center would take three or four additional employees. There's no question about whether or not we'd be able to find people right. to, 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 uh, um, staff to two overdose prevention centers. We could do it easily. So that argument, although it's used, is yeah. is as a fallacious argument. We yeah. have enough people to do this. Yeah, I wasn't. I don't think I just. Every place you look, they're short of of help, and I. Uh, I'm glad that that you think there'll be people interested. Ed, we've got two minutes left of the show. Um, people should call their legislators if they support this, um, because it now has to. I guess the recommendation has to go to. Um, one of the health committees uh, in the House or Senate, and yeah, and have that discussion. Uh, the, what is it, Health and Human Services? Yeah, Health and well, yeah, right. So um, check it out and um, uh, and watch Ed's show. I'm sure he's going to be talking about this a lot on CCTV. Thank, thank you so much, Pat. And appreciate are it. Of making substantial progress in Vermont. If it doesn't happen, it's going to be because of opposition, and that opposition is likely to come from Governor Scott. Okay. So if if we're going to, um, you know, write to anyone, write to Governor Scott. 
Right to go okay. to God and let him know that you support overdose prevention centers. There's our music, Ed. We've got to go. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. See you next Thursday with Rocket and Representative McCarthy talking ethics. See ya. Bye.